It's wonderful to be here this morning. I'm sorry for the reason that we have extra preachers right now in that we're missing Pastor Craig, but we're so thankful that he has uh, done so well. And I'm speaking now to you, Pastor Craig, because I know you're watching. Sit down, relax. We've got it covered. We're praying for you. Please take care of yourself. The sermon series for this period is, is entitled, When Love is Tough. And when I was considering that, and during the Christmas season, I saw this piece of art, which will be shown in just a second, called Jesus in the Rubble. And you may have seen it. Uh, I saw it on some social media sites, and it meant a lot to me. If you at all have friends in the Middle East, in Israel, in Gaza, you know how dark it is and how hard it is right now. Uh, we got a beautiful ornament from one of our friends who, who spends time in Israel and was very worried about a person they'd made, made friends with uh, in Bethlehem. This person has been making ornaments and things like that for 25, 30 years. And they called him and said, how is your business going? And he said, well, we're, we're basically shut down. And so the, this family friend of ours ordered a bunch of ornaments. And we had one on our tree this year, and I was so thrilled to have that. But when love is tough, we could take this in several different directions. And so I hope you'll uh, be with me as, as I suggest the the way that I thought this might go for us this morning, especially on Epiphany Sunday. Just in reflection, in the last few weeks, our theme was living extraordinary lives. And during Advent, we were taken on a journey as individuals and as a congregation. And it's been beautiful and it's been challenging. Thank you, Pastor Craig. It's been very challenging. It's been deep, but challenging. We looked at the lives of the people in the Christmas story and saw how God really did use ordinary people to do God's work. We looked at how people might position themselves or how we might position ourselves as we work on being especially um, committed to being Christians who are living extraordinary lives. We looked at being available to the work of the kingdom of God. And we were challenged to be people of discernment, people who told God, yes, on this journey, I will listen. I will take time to listen, and I will be committed to that aspect of my spirituality. One Sunday, we were reminded of Mary and Elizabeth and the story of surrender. We spent extra time looking at the Magnificat, and we were blessed incredibly blessed by taking time and looking at the deeper meaning of that. And we encountered the shepherds and the angels when the angels spoke to the shepherds. And we encountered shepherds who ventured out to tell what had happened, even though they were people that we had pointed out to us 
were very ordinary. In fact, they were people that were not held in high esteem. These are people that made the major statement about God, and they had no social status. Think about that. Think about that. They had no social status. But they were chosen to give one of the most holy messages ever given. And scripture, of course, is really full of that. You can find that very theme all through scripture. Each week, we also were reminded to be careful about the excuses that we might use to avoid our calling. We might have used the frame, bad timing. Uh, Usually, that's a perfectly fair excuse, except when it isn't. We might say we're too young, we're too busy, we're too old, and we're not well, etc., etc. You, you know, I wish I could say, stand up and say what you've used. We've all used different excuses. When we kind of know there's somewhere we're supposed to be and something we're supposed to do, and we just can't do it. In fact, I think I'll, I'll confess to you one of mine right now. I don't want to hear about it later, though. <laughs> I can't get over when I drive from Magnolia to the church, or anywhere really, that we have a brand new tiny house encampment. I doubt if it's a mile from our church. But am I going to go to the staff and bring that up? No, because I know what will happen. I'll have to do it myself. So let's just tuck that away. You know what I say is, well, maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe it's just kind of my personality. But we all have these excuses that we use when we aren't sure it's the Lord, but we don't want it to be. We were reminded that um, the poor shepherds kept saying to themselves, we're certain, not us. It can't be us that are supposed to tell this story. Uh, To the angels, they may have said, go tell somebody else. And one of the final statements that Pastor Craig made last Sunday as we prepared to read the Wesley Covenant together and look towards the new year was this, quote, I wrote it down. God is willing, God is calling this church to be extraordinary. Will we be here in 10 years? What must we do? That sent chills down my spine. And I realize that we face a deep calling. And whether you are considering First Free Methodist Church, your congregation, or whether you have another place where you live and work and minister, It's still the same reality. What is God asking us to do or you to do to be extraordinary? Each of us do face different realities, but our mission here at First Free Methodist Church is to love people, connect to Jesus, and to serve the world. Where do you and I fit in? There is no disagreement that these are dark days, and it takes a tough love for all of us to walk where we're supposed to walk, to live where we're supposed to live, and to be committed to share our witness. But Jesus is there in the rubble of our lives, of our situations, and our world's dark, dark situation. 
I have a number of friends who are calling me right now asking, is this the end? Is it over? And all I can say is, hang on. It's been bad before. Let's just live into the light that we know of and respond in the ways we know we should. But here's the picture of Christ in the nativity, in the rocks, underneath the rubble in Gaza. We have free Methodist pastors and Christians in Gaza, in the West Bank, in Israel. We, as Christians, are all over. And so the darkness that's happening right now is part of all of us. We can't skirt the fact that together we have to encourage one another. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if life was just this happy journey and we could just skip along and sing Kumbaya and, and Kathy, you could lead us. And if I asked for a show of hands this morning, or if I put on my bathrobe and came and sat with you who are on your comfortable sofas with your cup of coffee, and if I asked, how is it? I think I would hear from a lot of us that times are tough, or last year was hard, or looking to next year, we're a little frightened. We need to encourage each other that there is light at the end of the darkness, and that there is light and hope and love that comes through the cracks, comes right through the cracks in the rocks up to where humanity is. Jesus is here with us, and Jesus gives us an opportunity to be part of tough love, and he offers us a way through. Yesterday was the 12th day of Christmas, and today... Christians are celebrating all over the world Epiphany. I, I think, too, I need to make a confession that, does that mean I have to take my tree down now? No. <laughs> I was encouraged here today. This encourages me. But <clears throat> the season of Epiphany is all about illumination and the manifestation of the Lord to our whole world, having been revealed and celebrated by the wise men. The baptism of Jesus is one of the epiphany scriptures that's being read all over the world today. And it's the perfect picture of Jesus being set aside to save the world, and of the Holy Spirit giving him the strength and the power to live out his calling. This is the Jesus who arrives in the dark times and models hope in our life. He models surrender. He models hope for the future, a life of great light. And this is the same Jesus who came to the manger in Bethlehem, was given to us, walked a long, hard journey for 33 years, and standing up in the darkness, offering hope and light, and at the end, finally being victorious over death. That's the reality. There are several stories this morning I'd like to remind us of to show us about how people followed their calling and trusted in God. And the first one comes from the Old Testament. It's not the perfect model. I suggest that Jonah is a person just like us. And I wish we'd had time this morning to have a little acting out of the story of Jonah. Um, this man is not perfect, but we can learn 
from how he approached his calling. One person suggests that this story of Jonah is a subversive story about a rebellious prophet. Well, that's not what I remember. But some have also referred to him as the prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Let's be really honest. When we think of the character of Jonah, is it the Jonah from Veggie Tales? Or is it the Jonah from Sunday School? Whatever. This prophet doesn't turn out to be the character to model one's life on. But deep, deep lessons are learned from his response to his calling. These are important lessons. And the problem is that the story of Jonah disobeying God and being swallowed by the big fish is really only a part of that story. I encourage you, now I know you're going to go home and watch the Seahawks today, but I encourage you in your devotional time, maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow before the Husky game, and by the way, I saw that purple sweater up here leading music. That was good. Um, we really want to be people who, who respond to, to this story, even though it hasn't been highlighted a lot, at least not a lot in my adult life. And Lord knows I've had an adult life now. <laughs> he was asked by God to preach to Nineveh because of their wickedness. Or in today's language, God told Jonah to get over there to those people and put it to them about their lifestyle and their values. Jonah had a very human response, much like our responses are, when God asks us to do hard things. He ran. Hmm? There's many ways to run, but he ran. Jonah was a prophet. He was comfortable. This was his profession. He was well known as a patriot and a, and a prophet in his own land. And he didn't like the way this focus was going. Have you ever had a chance to kind of cut off God when the focus changes and you don't want to go there? Uh, I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands, but I won't. God was asking Jonah to go somewhere where he had no prominence, no favor. He didn't like these people. It was a long, long walk or camel ride to Assyria, which is now, uh, Nineveh is Mosul, Iraq. So that's where he went or he was supposed to go. He definitely had no desire to engage with these known pagans. And as a Hebrew, he didn't want to visit a Gentile city, even if God had told him to. Even if God had a message for these people who are living in bad, dark lives, what could God want with them, and why would God even care? We sit here this morning at First Free Methodist Church with a call to love people, connect to Jesus, and serve the world. Stop for a moment. Think about that. Who do we not want to go minister to? Who's hard to break through with? Whose lifestyle just kind of turns you off? Who, who is it that is your neighbor that you really don't want to be stuck out in the yard with? What does the rest of the Jonah story tell us about how he responded to God? And what happens when he does not respond to God appropriately? As I see it, Jonah was probably very comfortable as this prophet in a nation that he was proud of. And then all of a sudden, God asked him 
To go somewhere, a patriotic Hebrew and proud prophet would just never go. Think about it. Where's that in our community? Who is that in our community? You could imagine his bluster and his arguments. This prophet was already showing his colors, and he had the nerve to question God. And then go into hiding, like, like God didn't know where he was. It reminds me of Adam and Eve. I would like to just throw this out. We are very comfortable people right now, even if we're not you know, we're not facing this exactly, but we're comfortable in here. It's warm and cozy. We have the tree. We have great music. We love each other. But you know what? This church is 144 years old. I looked it up yesterday. We can't be comfortable with our history, which our history is fabulous. I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of being a part of it. But we cannot be comfortable. What we need to do is take these messages of God's calling and not leave them at the door. God had his reasons for this request for Jonah, and yet Jonah didn't see anything except the reasons he didn't want to go there. Have you ever tried to reason with God about the direction that God's Spirit is leading you? Mm-hmm. We all have. But God looks beyond the earthly and sees in spiritual eyes. He looks beyond the darkness and sees reconciliation. God is famous for moving us out of our comfort zone, don't you know it? And to see a greater level of breakthrough in our lives and others is what God wants. Sometimes God asks us to step out or step up, and it's not fun. Not fun at all. But there is a beautiful reward, and this morning I'm reminded of our own Phyllis Sorter. Seventy-five-plus years, working in Nigeria, a country that many told her, don't go there, don't go back, it's too hard, nothing will ever change, it's a hard country to be a part of. If you've been there, you know that, it's not comfortable. If you see her Facebook post, you'll see the pictures, it's not a comfortable spot. And yet, I know no one that has more joy than she does in what God has given her to do. And I would say that there are thousands, probably upon thousands, who have not only got a better life and existence because of her, their kids are attending school and hearing about Jesus, there are health clinics, there's a new way of looking at farming, And I'm just saying that she is not comfortable, but she's where God has called her. There's another person that I'd like to bring up for a minute, and that's Corey Ten Boom. And I'm not sure many of you know who she is. You may. Her story's fairly old now, but there is a video called The Hiding Place, and there are books, lots of books. One of them is The Hiding Place. And I've used some of her quotes many times to get me through hard times. And I'd like to read a couple of them for you, because here is a woman. She's writing from Raven's book, Concentration Camp. She's been taken as a Christian who was helping to hide Jews. 
and her whole family went there, and most of them did not come home. This is her first statement, and this is to her sister Betsy, who was dying and did die in the concentration camp. She said to Betsy, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And then she wrote this. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts broiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. This would be a Nazi guard. And was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness more than our goodness that the world world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Many years ago, I had the privilege, Arnie and I did, of driving Corey Ten Boom around Seattle for a week to many different events. At one luncheon, a Jewish woman came up to Corey and handed her her yellow star. She gave up her pain and her remembrance of the dark days to Corey and asked for prayer. God moved her out of darkness with the compassion of another who also had faced those dark days and come through a positive person. A second story, a final story in this regard, is about a friend of ours who's worshipped here many times, lives in the neighborhood, and is married to a, a Jewish man from Czechoslovakia. Um, one day she called and said, um, trying to kind of be careful with what all I say here, but she said, we got a call from a lawyer in Israel. Now, my friend's husband, except for his immediate family, uh, were all lost in the, in the Holocaust in Czechoslovakia. And her, her would have been her, his father, his father-in-law, his grandfather, owned several big businesses in Czechoslovakia. So she says, Bonnie, I got a call from a lawyer in, in Israel, and they want to give us money for, for grandpa's businesses. And she said to me, I know what you're doing with Set Free, and I'd like to give the money to you guys to help other people become free. We don't need the money. And I thought, I was totally humbled. I think we received about $12,000. And that started, that was, it gave us a big start with our Set Free program. But she said, you know, we don't need the money, and we've come through it, and we'd like to really honor helping others come through the darkness. I thought that was pretty fabulous. So Jonah, back to Jonah for a moment, as the reluctant prophet, he went as far as he could go. He flat out was not going to go to Nineveh. So he leaves Israel and he goes in the opposite direction to Tarshish, which is near Spain. It appears that Jonah somehow hopes he can escape from God's presence, right? Isn't that what we all hope sometimes? As we know, it doesn't work out too well. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. So you can try to hide, you can move, go away physically or even emotionally, but it's futile. God sees and God knows, and God is always there, and we celebrate that today at Epiphany. This is the God who gave us Jesus, who brought the light and the hope. When I was young, I thought that was kind of a creepy idea. I didn't really like thinking God knew everything I was doing and could see everything I was doing. What I know now is that that God created me and is rooting for me and wants the very best for me. God wants the best for all of us, and those who live close to him and those who are running or hiding or are just plain living away from the Lord maybe don't understand at this moment that in the darkness there's tough love. Yes, it's tough, but there are moments of healing and hope and reconciliation. So as Jonah is running from God, he gets in deep trouble, and he gets thrown out of the boat and swallowed by the large fish. And here's the key that I want us to hang on to. Because of his disobedience, there was chaos everywhere. This, of course, is the story most of us recall when we think about Jonah, but we don't realize the chaos that was caused by, by this action. Disobedience creates turmoil in our lives and the lives of those in our inner circle and our outer circle and everywhere. What you do and how you live your life and the way you act and the way you touch others will forever be affected for good or bad. Ask me sometime about some of the mistakes I made while living in the tension as a young adult. Oh, I was going to be a good Christian soon. I even went to Bible studies, but I didn't really want to own the whole thing yet. I thought it didn't look like a lot of fun just yet. I knew I would grow up and be committed. I wanted to grow up and marry a Christian man, but just not yet. And whenever you go down Dravis, there's an apartment on 19 and a half West Dravis, and that's where I lived for a couple years. And there were people looking to me for truth at that moment, and I didn't realize it. I didn't want to be responsible. I, um, I didn't realize how long my act of kind of defiance would affect others. And believe me, it did. There's at least one person who, who joined the Love family. Um, and if you are from around here, you know a little bit about who they were in the 70s. And this person was living at my apartment with my roommate, and she had hoped to find some good, solid Christians. And instead, she found some people that kind of wimpy about it. And she ran into the Love family, and they weren't wimpy. And she moved in with them, and she had a hard life. And we tried to intercept that. We couldn't. And in many ways, I feel like it's on me, because I didn't want to, I just didn't want to be there yet. The spiritual ramifications that come from our disobedience are, do not just affect our spirituality, but they affect the lives of others. This is why it's so important when we receive the challenges we've received in the last while that we own them, that when we walk out this door, we believe we are called to be different. 
The poor sailors on that boat were severely affected by the decision of Jonah running from God. They almost got killed at sea and in, the, in that storm. But good did come from the situation because in the midst of the storm, the sailors turned to the Lord, repented, and made vows to God. I do believe, as it says in the New Testament, that all things work together for good to them who trust the Lord. We don't always see that in our time frame, but it's there. Even in our personal failures, God can use it for good, and I thank the Lord for that. There's compassion in the darkness. But even with repentance comes obedience. And I want to name just a couple things or items that you might be feeling today. I know I, you could find me in this list from time to time. Um, Jonah had his come to Jesus moment, and today we might feel like you're in over your head. You're out of control. You feel overwhelmed. You feel rejected. You feel remorse and regret. The fear is crushing. You feel trapped. You feel there is no hope. In Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, he recognizes that he is a lost cause unless the Lord forgives him and gives him a second chance. Jonah is calling out all the things that we think and feel when we're caught in the darkness and don't acknowledge that there's tough love there's true love, there's compassion when we connect to Jesus. He says, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and his prayer of repentance was acknowledged, and Jonah's part of this whole thing was met with deliverance. How many times have you cried to the Lord for help and made vows to turn around soon, to go where God directs? Uh, more often than I'd expect, we all have said those things. But when we repent, we have to turn around and go with God's directives, which might work to develop a sense of discernment. We walk again with God and as a Christ follower. And even today, when we turn around and go to the place or the person or the situation that is the right thing, even baby steps are okay. No one turns a major into a minor prophet overnight. Yet when we join forces with God, we no longer get to go just where it's comfortable, nor do we necessarily head in the directions others suggest. I think that's a really key thing, to be sure you're hearing from the Lord, and then be surrounded by others who can also discern with you. We have talents and gifts that were given to us by the Creator, the one who knows us best, can help us best use our gifts and our talents for wholeness and bringing healing to others. So the key is we need to be open to seeing the big picture. Jonah still wasn't. He went and sat uh, outside of Nineveh, and he still was full of hate. We need the Lord to soften our hearts, and Jonah is not a good character model for that. He went in and told the Ninevites what he had to say, and then he sat on this hill and waited for them to be destroyed. When they repented and God didn't destroy the pagan city, Jonah was so mad at God. He understood why he was deserving of compassion, but to see God have compassion on these people, really, for the second time he said, just kill me. He was a favored religious member of a community, and he could not rationalize how these wicked people 
could earn God's compassion. Which, of course, is the point. None of us can earn God's compassion. It's freely given. God is compassion, God is merciful, and God wants us to have second chances and to succeed. God wants us to rise out of the darkness. And when I was researching this message, I ran across something I felt was kind of significant. <clears throat> and this may not be new to you, but I thought it fit for us this morning, the first part of the new year, of January 7th, 2024. So I think it bears repeating. Did you know that on the Jewish High Holy Day of Yom Kippur, the most solemn day of the Jewish calendar, the big fish story of Jonah is read in all synagogues. For centuries, the story of Jonah has been lifted up as an extremely important model. As the worshipers fast and confess their sins and reflect on the words of Moses and Isaiah, they listen once again to Jonah's account. Of all the readings that could have been chosen for the highest holy day of the year, why in the world is it Jonah? Why do Jewish congregations read about this reluctant prophet who ran from God, who was caught by a fish, and then miraculously released to complete a dangerous mission in what is now Iraq? Well, I called one of my Sephardic Jewish friends who's a leader in his synagogue, and this is what he told me. He said, this is the Day of Atonement is considered the beginning of the Jewish New Year. Those who gather, and this is worldwide, are reminded that this story is the light at the end of the tunnel. My friend said that we praise God and we have a clean slate and we need to acknowledge that we praise God not only when things are in, a dark, in the dark places, but also every day. We are forgiven and we can move forward. One rabbi said that we need to be reminded that God cares for everyone, while Jonah only cared for himself. I'm deeply moved by this. Jesus referred to Jonah three times in the New Testament. In Luke 11:30. scripture reads, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. So here's our question. What is God willing to do to bring us back to himself? Maybe you left God because you just unconsciously drifted away. Maybe you drifted away from your relationship with Jesus. You just didn't give it time. You gave up reading God's world or your circle of faith community. Maybe you blatantly disobeyed God and have a stony heart towards things that are spiritual. You just don't want to go there and face that. You just don't really maybe care anymore about what God might want you to do. You've lived a good life. Things are fine. Don't push me, God. Are you running away from God today? Maybe you're having difficulty with God's people. Let me say this strongly. God is God, and humanity is just that, humans. We can be terribly disappointed in religion, but please don't let that disappointment draw you away from the love and compassion of God. God can be trusted. These last verses in Jonah, Jonah 4, remind us that God loves the city, the city with all its sin and darkness and non-spiritual values. Does that sound like it relates to us at all? In chapter 4, Jonah has to experience the fact that there's a bigger picture than what he sees. He's angry at God for showing mercy. He doesn't seem to understand. He also 
was a major recipient of God's great mercy and compassion himself. Today, as we stand as a faith community in a city with so many issues, let us imagine that this is our high holy day where we have the opportunity to repent and to receive atonement and turn to see others the way God saw Nineveh. We need to be open to God's ways even when we don't always understand them, even when we don't approve. We need to keep our hearts open and soft so bitterness doesn't set in. After the leaders of Nineveh accepted the message from God, Jonah again, as I mentioned, climbs up to a hill to watch the city get wrecked and then realizes that God really is serious about second chances. He, of course, gave Jonah a second chance, but Jonah wasn't sure the Ninevites deserved that. Let us be people who live so close to the heart of God that what we want is what we want is best for all. We want the best for our families, our friends, our cities, and for God's world. Will you join me in prayer? God, we have relived Jonah's story this morning, and we understand why he ran from you. Please reach down and touch us as we need your help on our journeys. We each have places where your love and compassion is hard for us to share or even accept. We ask your Holy Spirit to fill us, to make us new as we turn around and go in the directions that you provide for us. We pray right now for our city, for those who are living in darkness, for those who are acting out of fear. Provide for those neighborhoods that need your comfort and need your help. Be with those who work in the nonprofits that are working for change. Be with teachers and students as they have to start back to school or have started back to school. May schools and congregations and places of help be blessed and supported. May we support them. We ask that you send us out into our neighborhoods of our city to bring your love and compassion. God, we need you so. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.